I've been asked to, to preach about heaven, to talk about heaven and the promise that God has made concerning heaven. And so for a few minutes this morning, we want to talk about heaven. Thanks for being here. Add words of welcome to those that Matt already expressed. We're glad that you're here. Uh, it's a, a beautiful winter morning in Middle Tennessee, and we are greatly blessed to be able to come together to worship God, to offer Him our praise and honor and glory. That's our primary objective uh, in our assembling together today. Of course, we also uh, are intent on encouraging and edifying one another, and we hope that that will be accomplished as well. As Matt mentioned, we've got a number of visitors. We're glad for our visitors. We want you to come back whenever you can, uh, and, and uh, we appreciate your presence very much. All right, let's talk about heaven. If I talked about a place with pearly gates and streets of gold, you'd know I was talking about heaven. If I talked about the tree of life being there, the crystal sea, many mansions, you would know very well that I'm talking about heaven. Let's talk about some descriptions of heaven. I actually think that the ones that we just enumerated, uh, although certainly found in the Bible and found in reference to heaven, those are figurative and symbolic. I think those kind of descriptions, pearly gates, streets of gold, crystal sea, that sort of thing, I think that those are found in the inspired word to help us try to get some idea of what a wonderful place heaven will be. But I think those kinds of figures and symbols are used because our vocabulary is limited and our minds are finite. And I don't think we can fully grasp uh, in a literal sense what heaven will be like. If I, if I passed out paper and pencil to everybody here this morning and asked you to draw a picture of heaven, my guess is that when we collected the papers and compared the drawings, we'd have as many variations as there are people who are here today. Uh, and so these limited descriptions of heaven, though wonderful and thrilling, I, I don't think they give us enough to really paint an accurate picture. Those, those descriptions, as we said, pearly gates, streets of gold, crystal sea, many mansions, those were never really intended for the purpose that we could literally draw a picture of what heaven will be like. They were simply there in the inspired word as an effort to help us realize what a wonderful place God has reserved for the righteous. Now, having said that, I do think that there's some descriptions of heaven that we can fully grasp. I was saying, I don't think we can fully grasp some of, some of the nature of heaven, but I think some of the things that are told us about heaven, we can get a full grasp of these things. And maybe we've neglected these descriptions too much. These are the ones we want to stress. So for instance, let me tell you that heaven is described as a reward. You know, uh, we start out early in life being trained to seek rewards. For instance, we tell the kids, if you eat all your vegetables and clean your plate, you can have dessert after the meal is over. So we tell them there's a reward. Eat, eat the things that are put before you, you'll get the reward of dessert. Uh, students are told, uh, if you work hard and do well, it will pay off for you. If, you, if you're a high school student, maybe you'll get a, a college opportunity. Or if you're in college and you work hard, maybe you'll be rewarded with a good job offer. Uh, even for adults, tomorrow morning, the start of a new work week, 
go to work tomorrow because there's a paycheck at the end of the week on Friday. All of that sort of thing that we're describing is the notion of reward motivation. Do something now in order to get something later. And it works. It's, it's very common and it works. It's successful in motivating people. Well, I'd like to argue that God has used reward motivation also to encourage us in our service to Him. Of course, the ultimate reward is heaven. And so heaven is held out as a reward. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, beginning, Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your, notice, great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In this text, Jesus actually uses the word reward in regards to heaven. There are other passages that don't necessarily use the word reward, but they they certainly convey the same idea. For instance, in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul was contrasting some of the hard things that he was going through at the moment with what would come later, the reward. Notice in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice, there's something that's for a moment. That's the trials of this present life. There is a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory for those who will be faithful. So again, I see in all of this, and I hope you do as well, that the idea of there's being held out to us is, is a reward. It, it, you'll have to go through some hardship potentially in this life, but it's all worth it because there's a reward at the end. In 2 Timothy 4, 4 beginning verse 7, we think this is some of the final words that the Apostle Paul penned by inspiration. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me notice, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I think Paul was, had gone through all of the hardships that he faced. And now, near the end of his life, he was looking forward to that crown of righteousness, which was laid up for him. Obviously, he hadn't got it yet, but he was looking forward to it, a promised reward. So, if we can keep our eyes focused, uh, or spiritualized, that is, focused on the eternal reward of heaven, I think it will help us uh, in the daily struggles to be faithful to God. I believe Paul used that sort of motivation in his own life and wrote about it for us. And Jesus himself spoke about the reward of heaven. Heaven is described as a reward. It'll be a great thing beyond anything really that we can even imagine. Heaven is also described as an inheritance. Think about that for a minute. So your, your rich uncle dies, really a wealthy guy. I mean, he's, he's got a lot, and he died. And of all the relatives, you have been the closest to this uncle. You served him in his old age, and you tried to be helpful to him in every way that you could. And he, is, he has actually intimated that he's leaving all of his accumulated wealth to you, an inheritance. But 
when his will is finally read or probated, as they say, when they probate the will, there's nothing in the will for you, nothing at all. And it all goes to your sorry cousin who has never done anything for the uncle. Well, that's ultimately unfair. That is so unfair. What a disappointment. Well, in regards to the inheritance that God has promised to the righteous, that will never happen. That kind of scenario we just talked about will <coughs> never materialize. In First Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, notice that the word inheritance is actually found there. Uh, heaven is a wonderful, perfect thing. But it's so wonderful, that I, I think that Peter didn't really have anything to compare it to. He couldn't say, well, there's an inheritance for you and it's $5 million. No, $5 million, that, just, that doesn't even compare uh, there's an inheritance for you and it's a, uh, it's a, a mansion on a thousand acre plot of land. No, that doesn't even, that doesn't even compare. So there's an inheritance, but I, I, what I think is interesting that Peter goes on to describe the inheritance of God with three negatives, uh, uh, probably not any positive things to compare it to, but he can compare it to some things that it's not. For instance, he says this inheritance is incorruptible. It's a given thing that in this lifetime, all the things that we may have or possess can decay and become corrupted. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to not lay up your treasure on earth where moth, where thieves break through and seal where, where moths do corrupt. So physical things, anything that you might inherit in this time will be corruptible, but not so in heaven. It's an incorruptible inheritance. He also says that it's undefiled. Uh, another word for defiled is contaminated. Uh, and so this, this is an uncontaminated inheritance. Think of something contaminated. So after services conclude this morning, you go to the restaurant. Uh, and what you have to worry about, of course, in those public places is you know, maybe the food, maybe this place is not so clean. Maybe the food I'm about to eat is contaminated. Did you see in the news this last week where a Popeye's restaurant was shut down because someone published pictures of cockroaches crawling all over the, the food in the back of the restaurant? And they closed it down, thankfully. But that, that, that's, you don't want anything to do with something that's contaminated, right? Well, this inheritance in heaven is undefiled or uncontaminated. Now, again, uh, the things that contaminate our lives in this world, sin, misery, death, separations, loneliness, physical handicaps, mental pains, and so on and so forth, all of that will be done away in heaven. Our, our reward in heaven will be undefiled or uncorrupted. And notice he says that it fadeth not away. Uh, the, thing, the, the thing that comes to my mind of when I think of something that fades away is maybe a beautiful bouquet of flowers. I mean, it's just exquisite, just beautiful. But we know that that's not going to last, that in time, probably not too long a time, it will fade away and wither. 
Well, that never happens with the inheritance that God has for the righteous in heaven. And so, heaven is referred to as an inheritance. Remember those three descriptions. Incorruptible, undefiled, and it will not fade away. Heaven is a reward. Heaven is an inheritance. Heaven is referred to as a rest. When I, when I use the word rest to describe something, what do you think about? Well, I think typically we would think about hard work. And, and uh, sometimes we are challenged to do some very hard things. You know, and, and when you get done with that work, you're just exhausted. Labor and exhaustion come after hard work. But when the work is finished, then you get to rest. And that's a comforting thing. You know, if you, if you are in the middle of a very hard work assignment today, you have the opportunity to look forward to at the end of the day, you can wind down and rest a little bit. That's a comforting concept. And heaven is described that way. Now, again, I think what's interesting, we may not be able to really grasp Pearly Gate Streets of Gold Crystal Sea, but I can understand the idea of a reward. I can understand the idea of an inheritance. I can certainly understand the idea of a rest. And the scriptures describe heaven that way. In the text that Cal read for us earlier in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. So there is a rest to the people of God. But notice, we need to labor to enter into that rest. And so a couple things are worth noting. Uh, One is that to get to the rest of heaven, there's an implication that, that you're doing something now. There wouldn't be anything to rest from if you weren't doing anything now. Uh, I think that's really important. So, are you looking forward to heaven? Heaven is referred to as a rest. Would you have anything to rest from? Any labors for God that you would rest from when you reached heaven? For instance, if you're not a Christian yet, if you've, if you've never committed yourself uh, to serve the Lord and you're not working for Him, you're not doing anything, you're not living your life for Him, what would you rest from in heaven? So for the non-Christian who has not committed to serve the Lord, this idea of rest ought to be kind of uh, alarming. I'm not lined up for rest. I haven't been doing anything for which I should rest or from which I should rest. And what about those of us who are already Christians? Uh, are, are we serving faithfully in the kingdom? Are we doing the work of God in our lives? Uh, that's, that's what's implied with the notion of rest. But if we're not doing that, notice the Hebrew writer says we need to labor so that we can enter into that rest. So that's a, that's, the idea of heaven as a rest is really a good thing. And that thought should really register with us, but it also should maybe alert us to the idea that we need to be busy now so that we have that rest ultimately. And then finally, let me suggest to you that heaven is referred to as a home. Again, these are not unfathomable concepts. I think some some aspects of heaven our minds can't grasp. I think our minds can grasp all of this. And I think our minds can certainly grasp the idea of home. Home is where I want to be, right? Home is where there's comfort, where there's peace, where there's security. Home is where 
the ones I love are. I want to be at home with them. And through the, through the ages, there have been always expressions. And in our language, there are expressions that denote the wonderfulness of home. There's no place like home. How often have we heard that? Maybe you've seen uh, uh, on a wall someone needle-pointed that expression and framed it and put it on a wall. There's no place like home. Or home sweet home. They do that with, with that expression too. Or simply the expression, welcome home. We love the notion of home. And spiritually... It is to be desired as well. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Uh, there, there it is, right? That's what we're seeking. That's what we want. We want to be at home with the Lord. Uh, I think I can, get, I, can, I can get my mind around that, right? Can't you? I can understand that. I can grasp that. My, I, can't, I, I can't understand all eternal and infinite things, but I can re- understand the idea of home. And so, what about heaven? There's some wonderful descriptions of heaven in the Word of God. Reward, inheritance, rest, home, those are all great things. Uh, we want that. Uh, are, are you living in such a way as to receive those things. We want to spend some more time talking about heaven. And in our lesson tonight, Lord willing, we're going to talk about uh, who will be there uh, in heaven. And and there's some important and helpful things uh, to consider in that regard too. So we're going to follow up this lesson about descriptions of heaven with a study tonight about heaven, who will be there. And just a little bit of a teaser about that lesson tonight. We also want to deal with in that lesson the question of will we recognize one another in heaven? That's an interesting question. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that tonight as well. Well, heaven heaven is something that should make you feel good. The thought of heaven is something that ought to be really encouraging. Are you encouraged to think about heaven this morning? I hope that you are. And, and, and if the thought of heaven is exciting and, and very positive to you, then that may be a good indication that you've got yourself where you need to be with God. But if the thought of heaven, when you talk about heaven, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going there. I'm, I, I haven't done anything to make it possible to go there. I've not made my life right with God. I've not obeyed the gospel. If that's a concerning thing, then you need to act upon that. If you're not a Christian, become one. Hear in God's truth, believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've kind of let that hope fade because you know you haven't been living as a Christian ought to live, and maybe that hope of heaven is sort of diminished in your mind because you know that you're not where you need to be spiritually. If you're a Christian and you need to be restored to right and faithful service to God, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song.